Hi, Shiv. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's good to hear from you, Norma. How are you? Great. Um, today we have a really interesting episode. It is very rare that we have an episode where two hosts have a conversation. Uh, we've done it, I think, once or twice, but I think this is a great opportunity for a couple of reasons. One, for folks to get to know you a bit more. Uh, two, we have a really interesting topic. Um, and then three, just for you and I to just catch up in life. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it. Same here. So today's topic is actually going to be taking some time off, whether it's for a sabbatical or a personal leave. But before I go there, I would just love to hear a little bit about you just so that our audience centers once again on who you are. Sure. Yeah. So the quick uh, minute summary would be I am a first gen Indian American, grew up in motels all over the country from Arizona to Kansas to Texas. Then when I went to undergrad in Houston, I did chemical engineering and econ, went to work for ExxonMobil afterwards in Louisiana in a refinery. Then there's a, a six to eight, eight month window that we're about to talk about. And then I went uh, back to the DOE in DC. And now I'm in grad school at MIT doing an MSMBA, trying to solve climate change. With all the cool people here trying to do the same. Big drastic change from your Exxon days though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. So you go from undergrad and you go straight to work at Exxon in a refinery. So I'm guessing your hours are crazy. You're actually drilling oil. Is Do I have that right? No, no. So in the oil and gas system, there's downstream, upstream, and midstream. And the idea is when you extract oil, that's considered upstream. So you go to like the Gulf of Mexico or you go to Alaska, the North Sea, and you're on an oil platform that's extracting oil. Then it gets shipped to a refinery where it's processed into like refined products like gasoline or diesel or jet fuel. Um, and then that gets shipped to like your car or wherever it needs to go. So the refinery is just taking oil that's been sent from somewhere and then turning it into something. And it was... Uh, yeah, like it was chaotic though, so I'm not going <laughs> to argue with that part. So you, yes, yeah, so you were not down there drilling for oil, but yes. Okay, I it's funny, right? Because I do consulting in Houston and I, I should theoretically know about more about ONG, but I don't and I try to stay away from oil and gas. Um, but yeah, that totally makes sense. So how long are you there? And then, yeah, how long are you there? And, and tell me what led you to decide to take this time off? So I guess first let me talk to you about like the journey at Exxon because when I first came into it, I had no understanding of like the the complexity of the oil and gas system. And now that I'm walking away, I, I think I have a more nuanced perspective of it than like most people in climate because I think people tend to point fingers or like express blame towards oil and gas companies, which like there is plenty to go around. But I think there there are critical parts of the conversation that need their technology, that need their infrastructure. There's good people, like I have friends and colleagues that still work in oil and gas. And I think inherently there's nothing wrong about these people. But I think during my time there, I was feeling unsatisfied with the pace of change towards sustainability, towards like, like a, a net zero future. And around that same time, I two things happened that made me like think about my, my future, which was I met my fiance and she was applying to medical school. And I saw that she had this like big vision for herself. She was like, her, her, her entire life mission was to make the world a better place through healthcare. And when I was reflecting on my own work, I was thinking, what, what is my mission? What change do I want to see in the world? Am I working towards that? 
Um, and I, I didn't see it. So I felt unfulfilled with like the work I was trying to do. At the same time, I had a new supervisor who was phenomenal. I think like he's part of why I, I made it to MIT today. And he, like one of the first uh, lunch and learns we've had or like lunch discussions with the team, he mentioned his, uh, his brother did a similar one year backpacking trip around the world. And immediately I hooked onto that. I'm not sure if it's like from watching movies growing up. Or I'm like, that's an awesome thing, but I never had the resources to do it. Or I'm not sure why I was so hooked and gravitated. But this idea of traveling, exploring, appreciating different cultures, this sounded awesome to me. And I like that's when I started thinking about maybe like a sabbatical is not a crazy idea. There are people that have done this. I tried to find the people at Exxon that were open to the idea. Not that many were. But the moment I started finding people interested in it, I'm like, oh, okay, this is something that I could potentially do. And I, uh, and I started the conversation from there. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that my boss was warm enough to start having that with me early on. Yeah, so let's break down a couple of the things you said. Uh, first, I think you're 100% right. I, I think when people think ONG, oil and gas, they think, oh my God, the world, destroying the world, partially true. Um, but at least from what I've seen and sort of where we are headed in my company is renewables, right? Like we need to figure out our clients as we know them and understand them in oil and gas no longer fit the same DNA. They are changing, they're evolving. And I think as a firm, we have realized that. And I've talked to a lot of partners who lead ONG at my company, right? And, and you're right. I think that people are, are pivoting. And it's, it. in my opinion, it's going to be you're either get with the times or you become obsolete. And so I, I think that that is part of the reason why we're pivoting. So totally agree. Um, But then you said something that, that that was really interesting, which is, even though you had great mentorship in your job, and even though you had great opportunities, you felt like the fulfillment, the purpose was not quite there. And that you saw a grandiose vision of, of what could be. And so how did that influence your decision to want to take the sabbatical? Did you think I'm going to take the time to take a step back, reflect? Or did you say, I don't really know what I want out of life, but I know that I need to go on this break? It was probably more of the latter. I When I first started thinking about it, and I, I, I felt that lack of clarity, I didn't think I, I didn't have an alternative. I didn't go into it thinking like, let me go reflect if I want to do this alternative option B or C. It was more about, I have no idea what I want to do. And maybe going on like a six month hiatus would like help me figure that out, help me talk to people and give me, like, I guess maybe ground me yeah, in that, in that soul searching. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think that when we are in the grind, right, like we're just in the spinning wheel and there's not a lot of time for this reflection. So then you mentioned that you chatted with your boss and your boss was receptive of this. So what what was the original plan? Because I think you took your break and did not come back to your job. But was the original plan to return to your job? Yeah, so it was originally a sabbatical and it was like a, a, a question mark sabbatical because it was framed as as a soul searching exercise. So it could go in any direction. And I think we were both cognizant of that because we were friends as humans. So yeah, anyways, the, the, the overall intent was for me to come back because I was on a, on, on a leave of absence or a sabbatical from, from Exxon. Uh, and it was intent, originally intended to be a year long. Okay, so, and maybe this is for my own information and knowledge. How do you differentiate, if at all, the difference between a sabbatical and a personal leave, personal time off? Are they the same thing to you? Does one have more of a, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I think my connotations are, but what, I would love to hear from you. Yeah, so it, the, the, the formal definition at Exxon was a leave of absence, and I would just call it a sabbatical anecdotally because that's what people know it by, but 
like when I was referring to it, like amongst colleagues and friends, I was just, they were pretty interchangeable in my world. Are you seeing something different or like, have you have a different sense of the definitions? Yeah, I I think from, from my personal experience, right. And as someone who is also doing some time off, I find it that when I talk about a personal leave, people automatically get very worried that I'm not okay, that it has something to do with my mental health, that I've burn myself out as opposed to when I discuss it as a sabbatical it's more of a what a privilege it is to be able to have some time off right like so one of them to me appears more of you need it it's out of necessity for your own mental well-being and the other one is more of a luxury yeah or maybe there's it's a little bit of both I feel like maybe because Exxon a lot of my colleagues were in project management and the projects was a, a, I was under the Department of Global Projects where we had colleagues in Europe and Singapore and there was different work cultures internationally. So maybe the idea of sabbaticals is more common in non-American cultures and therefore it was it was less viewed as, that's the word I'm looking for, differentiating. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, you, how do you tell your colleagues that you're going on this personal leave, right? And, and for a whole year, right? Um, I'm guessing they're going to cut you off your health insurance. I'm guessing they're going to, there's a lot of things at play here. But before we go to the actual logistics part of it, would love to hear what people said to you um, when you said, I'm going on this time leave from the American side. Yeah. So maybe there's like two levels. The, my direct colleagues, like my friends, like the people at my, at my working level, and then my supervisor in that level, and then maybe even a level higher, like all the leadership. So everyone on my level, I told like immediately, and they were hype. And they were like, Shiv, this is like the coolest thing. I want to learn more about it. How did you get inspired? Where are you going? Oh, you're going to Vietnam. I was there last year. Let me give you Rex. So it became very casual and it made it it made me even more excited because they were equally involved in that celebration or in that in that looking forward to. From the supervisor level, I got lucky that my my direct supervisor, my group lead, were all like millennials, <laughs> so it was easy for me to to the millennial, like yeah, like late millennial, and it was easy to to share like this is something that I've been interested in and not feel hesitancy or concern about my future. And then I, even at his level, it was easy for me to share with other folks um, at that at the supervisory level. And then maybe this is just bold of me because I'm a loud guy, but it was super easy for me just to go to uh, leadership. And during like, I think I was go I was working on a special project the last like six to eight months. And I was talking to like people like maybe three or four levels higher than my boss. And in these presentations, They'd be like, oh, Shiv, like, what are you doing next year? Like, can you work on this? I'm like, sorry, I'm going on a leave. I'm backpacking Southeast Asia. And they're like, what? <laughs> and so anyways, I was very forward about it. And I was expecting an adverse reaction. Some people even told me to expect an adverse reaction. But they were just like, oh, that's cool. Like, and like most, like, like they're all human. So they're all like trying, they all travel in their, on their weeks off. They've all like to explore things. I think it's a very human tendency to like appreciate cool things. So they were all down to, to explore it with me, which was fun. And did you feel this boldness because deep inside you knew you were not coming back? <laughs> the, a part of it was probably because of that. But honestly, I felt bold from the beginning because like Exxon, and I, I felt like this at the DOE too. Like I was never, I'm never scared of losing a job because maybe I'm overconfident, but like I can get another job. Like Exxon and Shell are competitors. There's no reason. Like I maybe it's a Gen Z or millennial part of me that doesn't have loyalty to my firm. But like we're all humans working for some company 
to earn a paycheck and then to add value. And as long as we're adding the value that we're supposed to be adding, the transaction has been fulfilled and hopefully we're helping the, make the world and our colleagues uh, better in the process. So to answer your question, I didn't, I, I felt bold because I knew I wanted something. And if I wasn't going to be appreciated for like being who I am or for being happy or excited about something, then maybe like that's a sign that I shouldn't have came back anyways. That's super key. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. Um, thinking about how people would respond to your actions as a signal of who they are and the entity that they are is something I had not thought about. So that that's very, very good. At what point do you decide it's not a one-year journey? Is this before or while you're in it? Because I want to talk about while you're in it next. Yeah, yeah, no, it it um it was fully I really wanted it to be a one year journey, but we started December twenty nineteen and things happened in twenty twenty that made me leave country to country as lockdowns were happening. So it it was forced to be condensed a little bit because of COVID. Got it. Okay. So I want to dig in a little bit more on the actual trip. So you go ahead, you close down your laptop, do you you return it to them, you keep it, yeah, you you return it. I return it. Yeah. Okay. Very different. Okay. You return it. You say, I'm not going to open it for the next year, but you leave in very good terms. Everybody knows if you are, if you want to come back, you have a job. Do, do they ever guarantee that your job will be there or you're like, no, not, not guaranteed. And, and, and that's actually part, we can talk about this later, but it wasn't guaranteed when I came back, especially because in June, 2020 oil and gas was not having a good time. So it was not a good time to go back anyways. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Great. So, okay. I don't want to skip too much ahead. So I will circle back to this, but very clearly they told you not guaranteed. And yet though, deep inside, I am guessing there is a thirst. There is a need for you shift to want to go do this, to say, this is it. This is, I need to go do this. And how do you decide now it's the time? Is it, is it a question of now or never? Or could you have done it later when, I mean, you, there's no way for you to have known that COVID was happening. I think, so this is a great question and I need to give credit to my fiance because back then we were, I met her, I met my now fiance back then girlfriend in 2018 and like six months in, into dating, I was like, Hey, I kind of want to quit my job and travel maybe. And then she was like, Oh, I'm graduating May, 2019 and I want to travel. I'm like, Oh, we could do this together. So we decided to, so that's when I started having conversations with my boss in early 2019 that I'm going to take like a year off the following year. This was like a year in advance I gave him. I mean, like he even helped create a special job for me for nine months to keep me busy until I went on my job or until I went on the sabbatical, which was nice. And that was like my favorite part of the, my time at Exxon anyway. So it, it was perfect in every direction. But so anyways, the, the timing aspect of it was entirely because my fiance was going to medical school fall 2020 and we had a year where she had a like between undergrad and uh, med school that we can actually spend together. So it was now or never. It was either we go during this time and travel and like make memories and live live the dream we both had, or like she's in school for 10 years and we can't do it again. Yeah. Okay. So yes, I did want to ask, was there a point in in your process that you said, actually, I don't need to disclose to everybody what I'm doing? Is Was there a point... Did you feel like, number one, maybe you had nothing to hide, so be open to it? Or or did you feel, I actually don't owe them that much of an explanation. This is what I'm going to do, period. Or neither. 
Yeah, or maybe like I just like to share excitement. So it's more like if you have like a, if you get a new dog, like you'd be like, hey, look, I got a new dog, and you show pictures, and people like you want people to be excited with you. In the same way, I wanted everyone to like join in this like happiness I was feeling in this like upcoming sabbatical in terms of planning it, in terms of, like the stresses of even considering it. Like I'm not making it sound really happy. I was really nervous about like I've I've never been outside of America or India or Mexico before. So I thought it would be cool for me to go like to a country where I didn't speak the language. And that was like concerning to my parents. I mean, that's a whole separate conversation about how my parents and my family reacted. But like being able to share that and be vulnerable with my friends and my colleagues have really helped me like feel comfortable doing it. Otherwise, I, I may not have been as comfortable trying to, to go on the journey. Mm, got it. Okay. So let's go there. Your parents, because there are a very important variable in this equation. So you are about to go a whole year with no income, I am assuming. And you are going to tell your parents, thank you so much for all the sacrifices you did. Here I am. I'm not going to, you know, have the stability that they probably have always wanted for you. Specifically, the economic stability is what I'm referring to. Yes, it takes a first gen to be able to ask this question because I think the only, I, I've talked about my sabbatical with like hundreds of people and like only the first gen to ask this question, like, oh my God, like were your parents, I'd be so mad. <laughs> so I brought it up to my parents early 2019 and they were just like, no, like I, you worked so hard to get this job at Exxon. Why, why would you leave with an unguaranteed job with knowing like you're getting paid well? Like they were just mind blown that this is even something I was considering. And then I had to like go through this like conversation with them for six months to eight months where I was like, you sacrificed so much so I could have a better life. And maybe better doesn't mean stable. It means more fulfilling. And maybe if you were me, you would have wanted to do the same thing, but you never had the opportunity because you had to sacrifice so much for me to get this. And like maybe like, it could be selfish for me to want to do this, but it could also be self like it, it, it could also help me fulfill your dream and that is something that can motivate you to also exp- like to to make the most of the time you have left as well so i think there's an aspect of at first i felt bad because I was, I was wasting their sacrifice but then i felt good that i was making the most of their sacrifice in a way that i never thought about making the most of it before yeah that definitely resonates with me because i often think about the sacrifices my mother has done and yes right a lot of it had to do with me having a quote unquote better life, right? And and I think better for a lot of us that grew up low income meant stability, meant having the job, meant, you know, having the house, having all this, being able to afford healthcare, being able to afford all the things we never were able to. But I think that that is the bare minimum and that that is sort of table stakes, right? I think the, the real question is, no, but really, what did you sacrifice for? It wasn't for this. It wasn't for me to become part of this ongoing cycle of or, or, or a ladder that I'm climbing that who really even knows if I want to be climbing that right ladder. So totally resonates. Okay, so then you close your laptop, you convince your parents, everybody's on board or not. <laughs> You're not taking a paycheck and you get a carry-on, I'm guessing, and a backpack. And where are you heading and why? So I started, there's this thing in India called NRI season where everyone goes in December because a lot of weddings or random stuff. So I went December with my mom and we were there for like a week or two. And right after Sonam and I, my fiance, ended up flying straight to Bangkok. So the first, like with my Osprey like 40, uh, backpack, we went to Bangkok, walked to the nearest hostel and like try to figure it out from there. 
Okay. And so, so tell me, so then you, how long are you there? Um, what is your biggest takeaway while you're there? And then where do you head next? This was, this was interesting because it was the first place, like it was the first country we went to. And maybe some, like, I was naive of me because I haven't traveled that much and I haven't talked to that many travelers. Um, cause I would go, like, it's very, I, it's a very American thing, I think, to travel and go to a hotel. Cause I've, like, I've exclusively stayed at hotels. And then it was nice for me to go to a hostel, meet, like, a random Italian guy and a, and a Spanish girl and have a conversation about something random. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, you guys are also here in Bangkok for some, like, two week holiday and we can talk about random things. So, anyways. We like explored Bangkok for a while. Some of the immediate things I learned was like, I do not know how to negotiate. I was getting ripped off by cabs and I needed Grab, which is like the Southeast Asian version of Uber. And that saved my life because I was like getting, I was paying way too much. And then also that is going to be okay. Like it was very easy for me to like t- communicate with people that didn't know English. It was very easy for me to get around and figure things out. Like that, the fear I had uh, when I first sat in that flight from Mumbai to Bangkok. Going to Mumbai is chill because like I speak Gujarati and I know Hindi. But going from Mumbai to Bangkok was like, dude, I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. But that immediately went away because I saw so many other travelers. I saw so many, like, I just felt so like, it felt so natural to be exploring something and to be like helped and supported by local people. So I think I, I, I was, I, the fear went away very quickly. Yeah, I love that. I We are not thinking about doing the hostel life because I did that in my 20s. <laughs> so we're now a little bit more bougie. So we're, we're probably going to do like Airbnbs, but not hotels. But yes, that, that is part of our plan. Um, but we've done the hostel situation and it's a lot of fun just because there's people from everywhere. Um, and like you said, you have amazing conversations. So so how long are you there? And then the borders begin closing, I'm guessing. Well, I guess not until March. But where do you head from there? So we, we were in Bangkok. We went up north to Chiang Mai, Pai, like the uh, northern part of Thailand. Then went across the border to Laos, spent some time in the mountains. Then went to Hanoi in Vietnam. That's when COVID, it was like February. And that's when like things were like, oh no, things were starting to happen. We didn't calls from our parents saying like, hey, like is everything okay? Maybe you should come home. Which was in hindsight, more dangerous to be in America than to be in, in Southeast Asia. So maybe we could have just stayed, but I'm not going to fight that battle. <laughs> then we went from Hanoi down to Cambodia. And then the first time it started affecting us was when we went to the Philippines because, or actually, no, in, in Hanoi, uh, Halong Bay got shut down like a week after we left. So things were like, we got like in the, one of the last boats into Halong Bay. Then we, we, we were traveling to Cambodia, Philippines. Singapore shut down like right after we left Singapore. Bali, we were on like one of the last flights out of Bali to Japan. Oh, actually, we were, we were supposed to go Bali to Australia and then Australia shut down. So we couldn't even go to Australia. So we went straight to Japan. And then Japan was the, one of the last ones to close their borders because of the Olympics. So we were able to stay in Japan for a while, which was nice because there was no foreigners and it was cherry blossom season. And we can actually enjoy cherry blossom season without like a whole... Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we were just going, essentially, we were, after Cambodia, we were just escaping lockdown after lockdown. And then, so you are now, is this April? So you're, have you been six months in? Is that right? Yeah. And then how do you make the decision? I'm guessing you came from Japan back to the US. How do you make that decision? And what's going through your mind as you are saying, okay, this is, this is it. Your one year trip that you had planned for, hoped for aspire for is getting cut down it was so sad i had a uh like a a yoga boot camp like a like the yoga certification there's like a a training you have to do I, I had one booked in the mountains in india 
And I was like, wow, this would be amazing to do in May. And I was fully ready. I was going to fly there. My flight was ready. So I had to cancel my flight to India. I was going to do the second half of my trip in South America, and I had to cancel all of that. Not much of the details were planned, so I felt less bad. But I think what like pushed me over the edge to actually cancel everything was the like India got shut down, so I couldn't even go to the uh, the yoga certification that I wanted to do. And then like our parents have been calling us nonstop at this point. So Sanam was getting more concerned than I was because I think she's more reasonable than I am. And <laughs> she was like, "Okay, we should probably go home." She uh, like here some of the, like the flights are going to stop going out this date. So we. I think like that's when I was like, okay, yeah, the future is already looking like, like relatively concerning. Maybe we should be, go home and be a little bit more safe. At any point, are you internally freaking out? Like no one knows what COVID is. No one knows how deadly it is. Are you at all scared of like, actually, I should go back to the US where there are doctors where I speak the language, right? Obviously there's doctors everywhere, but at least where you speak the language, your family's here. Is that crossing your mind at all? It's crossing some of his mind for sure. <laughs> I'm maybe I'm just like yeah, my, my risk tolerance is unreasonable. I think because I, I I wasn't too concerned. I think like we were wearing masks, we were watching like we were taking some of the precautions. And uh, honestly, it wasn't like if you look at the the data, it was more dangerous in America. So I was like, why would I go home in a country where people are not wearing masks and where the infection rate is way higher than in Japan where people are actually like everyone in Japan wore masks all the time. So I was like, okay, this is safe. <laughs> this is comfortable. So anyway, I, I felt more safe where I was and I did going back home. No, that makes sense. So you are finally back on the plane. Um, you have your carry on and you are landing back in the US. What is crossing your mind other than obviously you're terribly sorry, you're terribly sad that you got cut short. But how are you rejoicing also in in the fact that you were even able to do that, right? And that, and yeah, let's begin there. And then did you find yourself? Was your goal met? Oh, I think it really grounded. Two things happened. One, the first one is going to be kind of sweet, which is like, that's, I proposed to my fiance like a month after that. I was like, oh, okay. Like if she can handle six months of me traveling and getting like escaping lockdown, then I think she we can live our lives together. So that that was a, a a beautiful test, I think, of the relationship. And then the question of did I find myself? I I realized during that trip that two things, I guess. One is I will never find myself. It's, it's a constant journey. Like I, I was expecting a clear answer by the end of it. And I didn't have one. And I think like, maybe that's okay. But what I do know is that I enjoy this journey of reflection. And I want to go somewhere where I can continue to be on this journey and continue to grow. And I didn't feel like Exxon was like helping me grow in the way that I used to. So that, that's, that's one piece. The other side of it is I wanted to, I wanted to keep like challenging what I, what I wanted for my life. So a part of us is like, I want to go work and like work X hours a week, make the most of like the, the opportunity our parents gave us. But I think I also want to travel and explore new foods, explore new cultures, talk to different people, play games, explore museums, like do these things that make life more fulfilling. And I never prioritized that up until that trip. And now we always implement these like very, like it, it feels selfish in a way to want to go and do this, but I think that's part of what being happy is about. And that's, that's part of what the sacrifice is about. So I think now I, de- I deliberately prioritize the things that I value into my life that I, in a way I never did before. 
That's beautiful. And congratulations on your engagement. That is very, very sweet. Um, so you are then come back to Houston and your job is no longer there. So what happens now? Because now you, you still have to make a living, right? I am assuming you budgeted for a whole year. So maybe you were okay financially, but what happens next? Now I just start job hunting like crazy and like COVID, like no one's hiring, right? But funny story about how I got my next job. I applied to like a hundred jobs in the span of like a month, was interviewing at a few places. And then the guy that hired me worked at the DOE and he, I told him, he was like, well, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, well, I just got back from sabbatical. And he was like, oh, you, you travel? And I'm like, yeah, I was on a six month traveling, like, a, like a traveling the world. He was like, I did that. I went on a year trip through uh, these countries, like this, 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 this route. So we spent half an hour talking about that. I'm like, oh, okay, this guy likes me. <laughs> I think I think there's potential here. And like, I, the skills also met. His team did exactly what I did in my previous role, and everything worked out. But I think it like being able to connect on something so personal was was part of what helped me land that role. And like now, he's like one of my closest mentors. And I think he like he came to MIT when he was an undergrad or for his grad school. So I think that even pushed me to come here for my grad school. That's great. It sounded like you got in with the right person who really appreciated this this journey. I think for me, the hard part is I, I work in a job that is like super intense, very type A people, right? So I don't know of anybody else that thinks about doing this or even that thinks it's acceptable, right? Because I, I think many people would just say, well, you're not taking your career seriously, right? And so the coming back point is, is I think a little tricky, uh, at least from my perspective. It depends what you mean by seriously, because I think, or I guess maybe it's maybe it depends on the work culture. I haven't been in consulting, or I haven't been at similar firms. The government is a laid back place in general, and oil and gas is pretty relaxed. But maybe like it's okay if personal goals and visions don't align with a sector or an organization. And like there, there's also divergent types of people. Like there are CEO founders of startups that are like. That would fit what you're saying. Very type A, grinding all the time. And like, you have to be if you're a startup founder. But also there are people that are way better at their people skills, way better at connecting. And a part of that came from some kind of traveling experience or some kind of experience like this. So anyways, I think you can be in a similar role with a different mindset. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. And I, I actually thought you were going somewhere else. I thought you were going to say... It depends what you mean by taking your career seriously, right? Because in many ways, maybe this is a break, like from from that is going to allow me or other people, right, to come back stronger and better because that is part of taking the career seriously. So, so yeah, that's where I thought you were going to head with. That's also true, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then you come back, right? You're now just looking for jobs. What was the biggest shock, maybe culturally, mentally, from? You know, you got up, you got to do whatever you wanted all the time, travel, take yoga. And all of a sudden, you are back in a desk grinding again. So I started during COVID and I was able to work. I was working virtually from, for, for most of it. So it wasn't as bad as working in a refinery. So I had a lot of free time. I was in D.C. in a new city so I can go to museums and like explore the town. And I, I was, I'd never been in. So it wasn't as like zero to 100 as I was expecting, which was nice. And the government has a pace that is like probably less than what you're used to, <laughs> which is also, I think, a, an easier step back into it. Mm, yeah. Okay. So I do want to be cognizant of time and I'd love to ask you two follow-up questions and two final questions. One, if you reflect back 
to your experience, I am guessing you would do it all over again. Um, so what would be your advice your or tips? Number one, uh, for someone who is thinking about doing this, what kind of questions maybe do you think they should be asking themselves? Yeah. No, so, so looking back, I would definitely do it again. That's a, that's a great, I'm glad you can tell. <laughs> um, some advice I would give is, like, it is scary. Like from, a, from a financing perspective, like you spent so much of your life trying to earn this paycheck and now you're sacrificing it for like six to eight months. So for any first-gen listening, I think I, I hear you and it is scary. And this, like, the, the stability feels so good because like, it's, not, it's not something that we expected to have at this early in our, in our careers or in our lives. So we're fortunate to even have that. To, to throw it away is, is a... Is, it is a scary thought. But the advice I would have is talk to people that have done similar things. If something excites you and you think something is cool or something is interesting, like talk to people that have done it. And if if their stories excite you, if their stories motivate you, then maybe it's worth taking a risk in doing it. Because at the end of the day, when you're 80, you're not going to regret working harder. You're going to regret missing those things that you could have only done in your 20s or in your 30s. Yeah, I love it. And then so then that, the last piece is the second part of my question, which is, how how would I know if this is the right step for me? What are there some questions that I should be asking myself? So a couple of the ones just to kick us off, I would think is, do you feel fulfilled by what you're doing? Right? If the answer is no, then this might be an opportunity to take a step back, reflect while you're getting to know different cultures and different countries, right? I think another question I would ask myself is, how would I get if I wanted to do this, how would I get all the right stakeholders so that align, so that I leave in a good place, sort of like you did your job, right? Or if I, if you do plan to come back, that you do are able to come back. And then maybe another question is, what is the story I want to tell? Because you can tell this story very differently, right? Depending on who your audience is. So those are just a couple that come to my mind. I'd love to hear a couple that come to your mind of what kinds of questions, items, checklists would you want which should you take care of, ideally, before deciding to take this leap of faith? Yeah, no, I think you you hit some of the biggest questions for sure. Some ones I would add would probably be, are you happy going into work every day? It's similar to being fulfilled, but sometimes the answer could be yes, and you really enjoy it. I really enjoyed my last job. But even though I really enjoyed like the work I was doing and the people I was around, I think the idea of going on this trip was even more exciting. So are you like, like, is this alternative use of your time? Is the opportunity cost of your time high? So think about how much, like, it could be that you don't like your job, but you also don't want to do the sabbatical and travel. So like, what, what do you want to do? What are the things that, that motivates you, get you excited, rile you up? Some other things I would think about is like, do you have... Like, have you saved enough? Because you, you have to spend years saving for this. It's not an easy decision. That's why I waited so long to actually go on the trip. So yeah, yeah. have you saved up enough to, to actually go on it? Do you, are you picking your route deliberately to make sure that you're, in, you're, you're making the most of it? Are you making, like, are you thinking about how to make the most time of it when you're out there? Like so a part of it's like, exp- like exploring, enjoying, but a part of it is connecting, reflecting, and those are very deliberate. So how do you make sure you're like being intentional with your time? And then finally, like, are you open-minded enough to to have that reflection because like you're you're going on a sabbatical and you're expecting to, you you're partially expecting to come back but like what are the types of questions that would like completely like throw you into a curveball maybe you want to go in a completely different route in the, the last three months of the trip that you never thought you would want to like are you open to those types of experiences because you'll never get that 
flexibility again. It just, uh, a leave of absence or a sabbatical doesn't have to be structured. It can be as fluid as you want to make it. And this is a, a, it's a golden opportunity to be as fluid. Yeah, absolutely. And some people take the time to travel. Some people take the time to start a new business. Some people take the time to just read and write a novel, right? So, it, and then some people, like you said, take the time to just be, right? I feel like we always feel like we need to be producing in the society. Sometimes you just need to exist and that is enough. But I I think we had an awesome conversation. I thank you for your honesty. I thought it was fruitful. And I hope that for folks that are thinking about doing it out there, it's helpful to hear your experience. Um, for me, I think if what it comes down to is, as far as I know, and I would love to believe in reincarnation, but as far as I know, it's one life, right? And And for me, right, I don't want to think back with regrets of, I wish I would have done X. I wish I would have done Y. And I didn't do it for, because I was afraid, because of fear, because of what people might think, because what my parents would think, right? And and I think at least for me, that's what it comes down to, right? One life, again, would love to believe in reincarnation, but don't have any evidence. So I'm going to go with one life. Um, So do the things that are going to get you excited. I love that. That's a beautiful story to end with. I definitely, as a quick ending point, like after the trip now, no matter whenever I see a sunrise or like pink clouds or like a beautiful moment, I can see a leaf like blowing in the wind. I just stop my fiance as we're walking. I'm like, this is so beautiful. Like we're so happy. Like this is like, I. so anyways, being able to enjoy those moments on that trip, make me enjoy it now, even when I'm busy or in the heat of the moment. That is awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate your time and until next time. Yep. Talk to you later.